This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. With the exception of a funeral a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is the first time that I've spoken in any kind of a public gathering since January. It's the longest period of silence I think I've ever had in my life. Um, so let me start off this morning by, uh, by saying thank you to our pastors, uh, Tom and Steve and Bernie and Andy, for doing such a fantastic job on Sundays. Yeah. These last three months as they taught you about the first church in Acts and then told their own personal stories in the very uh, last few weeks. A special thanks to my friend Sam Knight for very ably preaching on Easter Sunday. Um, you know, for me, after uh, I thought about it the other day, I said, after preaching 19 consecutive Easter Sundays at Nags Head Church, it really felt a little strange on Easter Sunday morning to get up, first of all, to get up at a normal hour and not have to be at church at 7 a.m., but to get up and not have to preach somewhere about the resurrection. I thought, this is really odd. It's bizarre. Um, The the picture on the screen um, is is a picture of me standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, doing just what the Eagles song said to do, taking it easy. Uh, You don't have to worry that the the girl in the flatbed Ford there behind me, she only slowed for a second because Gail was across the street taking the picture. So she, <laughs> she just kept right on going. Um, you know, for our guests, and you may be a guest here today um, who either wonder who I am or where I've been, um, I am, I'm the lead pastor here of a team of five pastors. I'm usually the guy who's up here on Sunday morning teaching God's Word. Uh, but I'm blessed Uh, beyond measure, to be part of a church that does an amazing job. And if you're part of this church, I'm talking about you. Part of a church that does an amazing job of making sure that her pastors don't burn out. Uh, In in 2003, we adopted a policy here at the church that that gives our full-time staff the opportunity to take an occasional extended time off, a sabbatical taking from the biblical term. Um, and, and kind of like vacations are, uh, our sabbaticals are built into our calendars, and they're intended to be uh, stress-free times of relaxing and, and re-energizing. I heard on the radio this past week, I was driving down the road and listening to the radio and, and Christian radio, and I heard these sobering stats uh, spoken on, on the radio, one of the programs. A couple things. One thing it said was this, every month, 1,500 Ministers, pastors in the United States walk away from their jobs and never return because of the stresses of the ministry, burnout, discouragement, and feelings of failure. 1,500 a month. That means every day, 50 pastors in this country quit. Every day. That means across America this morning, in 350 churches, there's somebody speaking, teaching, preaching, who wasn't there last week because the guy who was there last week and the weeks before is gone. 350 every week. Next Sunday will be another 350. That's a sobering thought. 
The other stat that they gave on, on this radio program was this, that 50% of pastors in America say they would quit the ministry today, right now, because of the stress, but they don't because it's all they know how to do. They're kind of locked into doing something because of stress that they don't, don't want to do. That means, think about this, that means 50% of pastors are saying this. That means in half of the countries in Dare County, half of the uh, churches, excuse me, in Dare County, half of the churches in North Carolina, half of the churches in this country, in half of the churches, they're hearing a sermon from someone who would rather be doing something else if he could. That's sad. So I want to say, as a pastor, thank you, Nagshead Church, for allowing me to step away from for 90 days. Um, I have never been as relaxed as I've been, uh, and, you know, that I can remember my adult life anyway, uh, as I have been the last 90 days. I run into people here and they, there, and they say, gosh, Rick, you really look relaxed. And I say, I am. <laughs> I feel like making a Cheech and Chong album or something. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> relaxed. Dave's not here. So, uh, but it took me a week or so to get relaxed. I'll be real honest with you. Um, the first week, I, I, you know, and that's always the way it is on vacation too. But once I finally figured out, you know what? Everything's cool back home. They're doing a great job. And the pastors and the staff are taking care of everything like you should. The ministry leaders and everybody involved in ministry uh, had a great time. And, and our church leadership has done a great job in keeping me out of the loop. I, I really don't know. Be honest, I'm in the dark about a lot of the things, a lot of details that have been going on here in, in the last 90 days since February 1st. So if it does seem to you, gosh, Rick looks like he's kind of lost, you know, as he leave his brain on that corner, what happened to him, you know? Uh, if it's, I seem like I'm a little bit lost, it's because I am. Um, and some of you uh, I know who are here today, you made commitments to become, a commitment to become partners uh, with us here at Nags Head Church while I was away. You, you became a part of this church while I was gone. And, uh, and others of you have become, uh, begun attending Nags Head Church since I was gone, since February. And so my, my hope is that I hope that after today you'll still want to come back, you know. Uh, today I'm going to be the caboose of the storyteller's train. Uh, since you graciously gave me these three months off, I want to share with you, because you gave that to me, I want to share with you uh, some things that I learned during uh, the sabbatical. Most of you know that Gail and I started our, our time away, our sabbatical, with a, with a six-week trip across the country. We put up a blog on the internet, 40 days in a Toyota, and actually it was 44 days, but we didn't have a plan. We said, we think we're going here, and we think we're going there, and we may stop here, and we may stop there, and, and, uh, but we kind of have an idea where we're going, and a lot of you followed us there. And, uh, and so after that, we got home after those six weeks, and we spent the next seven weeks here at home. Uh, where I did uh, kind of caught up on about five years of neglect around my house, working around the house, and, and also visiting some of the local churches here in Dare County and in other places. So, you know, this morning, what did, what did, uh, what did Rick get out of it? What did he learn? Let me, let me share some of it with you. Here's one thing that I learned. If you're looking for God, just look around. What do you mean by that? One of the things that we are blessed with in America and I'm sure it's true in every country in the world. I've been to some other countries, and I've seen some amazing things. 
in other countries. Probably the most beautiful city that I've ever seen, that I've ever been to uh, in the world was Cape Town, South Africa. What an incredible, incredibly beautiful city. So I know in other places of the world, I'm going to get to go to France with the band in June, and we're going to, I'm going to be able to see the Alps Mountains and see some things I've never seen before. But one of the things that we are blessed with in this country is the beauty of God's creation. Um, our trip took us down to the Florida Keys, uh, where we went all the way to Key West to the southernmost point in the United States, and then we drove back up and went through the Everglades, and Gail said, I want to see alligators, and we saw literally hundreds and hundreds of alligators uh, sunning themselves right beside the highway there uh, along a creek. Uh, we went, went to the Gulf Coast uh, where they still had white sands. <laughs> um, who knows what they're getting now, but the Gulf Coast, it looked like snow, the sand did. Uh, also, uh, you know, we went through the, the swampy bayous of Louisiana, and then we spent four days in Texas. And Texas is so diverse and so different uh, from east to west. Uh, then we progressed on through into New Mexico in the southwest desert, uh, which we were there in February. And the desert in, in the winter is just far more beautiful than I ever would have imagined. You know, you think of the desert and you think of sand and tumbleweeds and heat. But what a beautiful place. We saw uh, the cigarro cactus in uh, Arizona. Gail wanted to see those, like you see in all the cowboy movies. Uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, seeing those. Uh, we saw snow, really lots of it in the higher elevations of the desert. We got into California. There are sand dunes uh, in the desert of California that look like Jockey's Ridge for miles. And it's, you know, I've never seen that before. That was fascinating. Uh, and I really think God does some of his most amazing work out in that part of the country. And, and maybe if you've ever been there, you, you would echo this, but I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything more stunning than the Big Sur coast of California. And driving along Highway 1, where there is no shoulder on the road. If you go off the shoulder, you go in the drink about 500 feet below. And Gail drove the whole time. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to have a physical <laughs> this month. I hope the news is good about my ticker. But um, uh, the Big Sur Coast, th then we saw the giant redwoods. Now, there's a picture there. And I don't know, you can't really see, but at the bottom of that tree on the right, that, there, Gail is standing there, you know, just to give some perspective as to the, the size of those trees, it was amazing. We do have a picture. We didn't put it up, but a picture of us driving through one of them. Um, we went to Mount Shasta, went to Lake Tahoe, a beautiful spot up in the mountains high in the Sierras in California in the wintertime. And perhaps our favorite works of God that we saw uh, were the Grand Canyon, which we got to see again, snow in the Grand Canyon. It was really incredible. And then I think just as beautiful, just a little way south from the Grand Canyon, were the red rocks of Sedona in Arizona. So we saw lots of creation. And the Bible tells us that all the earth belongs to the Creator. All the earth does. It's His. Psalm 89, verse 11. Would you read this verse with me? Let's read it together. The heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. It's all God's creation. 
It seemed in some places as we were driving, literally in some places as we were driving through mountains and around curvy roads and so forth, that around every bend, and we commented about this, gosh, around every turn is something new and something incredible to see, something beautiful that God created and crafted for us to enjoy. The Bible also tells us that God reveals himself to humanity through creation. That's one of the ways God shows himself. The scripture says that from the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Paul writes, so they, who's they? Everybody in this earth has no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. If you want to find God, just look around. Creation reveals who he is by his handiwork. There are two ways that God reveals himself. Did you know that? Two ways that God has revealed himself to the world. One is through his word, through his word, and in his word we find his chief revelation of himself in this world, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. God reveals himself to us through his word, but the second way that he reveals himself is through creation. A lot of self-professing atheists might challenge the idea of God and say something like, well, I've never seen him. Show him to me, and I'll believe. And my answer back to them is, dude, open your eyes and look around. His handiwork is everywhere. He's created it all. It didn't just happen. But one of the things that's so great about God's creation is this. Of all that God created, God loves us most of all. Of all that God created, all those pictures that I put up there, all of that creation, and so much more, of all of that, God loves us most of all. Does that sound like human cockiness? Where did you get that from? From God. James chapter 1, verse 18. In his goodness, he, God, chose to make us his own children by giving us his true word. Look, and we, out of all creation, became his what? Choice possession. That means this. If you ask God a question like this, okay, God, of everything you created, you know, if you had, and people have asked Gail and I this many times, of all the things you saw, what was your favorite? In fact, one of the things we did in our blog was she put, put her top 10 things that she saw, and I put my top 10 things that we saw. Of all the things that you created, God, in this world, and God's seen it all, his hand made it all, his word made it all, of all the things that you created in this world, God, what is your favorite? He would reply this way. My favorite is every son, every daughter, every man, woman, and child who accepts my son Jesus as their savior. You are my favorite possession. Of all God's creation, if you know him as savior, you are his choice possession. You are his favorite. A second thing that we lesson that, that I learned uh, during this time is that in Christ we have a great big family. We have a great big huge family in Christ. Incorporated into our trip was the opportunity to reconnect with some old friends. One of the great things about Facebook is that you're always finding old friends or they're finding you. And maybe you try, I didn't want that person to find me, frankly, very much. But you're always finding old friends. 
But by the way, let me add that not everything about Facebook is great. In fact, Andy's teaching a series uh, starting tonight, uh, starting in two weeks, two weeks. Andy's teaching a series beginning in two weeks, young people, to our youth, to our middle school and high school students about Facebook called the F word. And it's benefits, and there are benefits, but there are also dangers. So let me say, if you're a middle school or high school student, you need to be sure that you get in on that. If you're a parent of a middle school or high school student who is on Facebook, you need to be sure that they come and, uh, and learn and listen. Probably one of the greatest blessings of being part of the body of Christ, and I've been part of, a, part of his family since I was 11 years old, uh, but and part of the, one of the greatest things about it is that you get to form relationships right here and now in this earth, in this place, that will go on forever. That's one of the great things. We make relationships with people, and we will have those relationships with them for eternity. It will go on forever. Uh, and so uh, it's been kind of a lot of fun that uh, in the last 36 years, I've served uh, in ministry in churches in, in Georgia and in Florida uh, in Virginia, in California, Oklahoma, here in North Carolina. And so I'm really blessed that um, I have eternal friends all over the place. Now, somebody could turn that around and say, they don't like you anywhere, do they? They keep kicking you out, you know. But I have, I have eternal friends all over this country, and that was really neat. On our trip, we met up with lots of brothers and sisters in the family of God, some of them up on the screen, some who used to be, uh, part of our fellowship right here at Nags Head Church, but moved away. Uh, some were very old friends that we got to see from my high school youth group in California. We had dinner with, with the man and his wife, uh, Dennis and Sandra Carlson. Dennis was my, you listen to me, teenagers, Dennis was my youth pastor when I was a 15-year-old sophomore in high school in Southern California. And, and we got to hook up with them in Albuquerque. I hadn't seen Sandra since 1971. She got a little older. But anyway, I you know, had not seen either one of them. And we got to see a lot of these people uh, from our earliest days of ministry together in California and Oklahoma. And, and like I said, some we hadn't seen in nearly 40 years. Uh, for me, one of the highlights was when, uh, when a man, he's a man now, he, when last time I saw him, he was uh, graduating from high school, uh, when a man who was one of my youth in the late 70s, and, and, and we haven't seen again, haven't heard from him since 1980, he's now in the ministry. Uh, he has, he's a doctor. He's now in the ministry. Uh, he told me this. He pulled me aside. We had a reunion in Tulsa of a lot of these folks and, uh, who worked with me in youth ministry and some of the kids that were there. And he, he, pulled, he said, Rick, he said, I want you to know. He said that that 6 a.m. Bible study that we used to do in your house, a group of guys would come over to our house at 6 o'clock in the morning, one morning every week, high school guys, and we did Bible study together. He said, that changed my life. That was good to hear. The Apostle Paul's ministry of starting and encouraging churches across the Roman Empire made him very aware of the relationship that Christians have within the family of God to one of the churches, the church at Philippi, that he'd spent some time with, he wrote these words, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship is in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it 
until the day of Jesus Christ. Now you add to all those friends of ours that we, that we saw and, and the people that we met. And you add to that the people that we met in churches that we worshiped in across the country that we had never met before in Florida and in Texas and in California and in Oklahoma. You realize, I realize more than ever now that, that if you are in Christ, and I hope that you are today. If you're not, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you're in Christ, you have family everywhere you go. You have kinfolk everywhere you go. Got to spend some time with Marilyn Dolly's brother, Ron, who's a, a rabbi in a messianic uh, uh, synagogue in Houston, Texas. What a, Marilyn, have you haven't seen their new building, have you? Oh, man, it's, you know, it's a, on, my, on my blog. It's amazing. And, uh, and right there, I had a great time of fellowship with him. You have family everywhere you go. That's so awesome. A third thing that God showed me, God taught me in this, in this, uh, during this time away, is that Nag said church is purpose, not personality driven. It's purpose, not personality driven. What do you mean by that? Frequently on this trip, as I would meet with people, all over the country and, and go to churches in and, and, and these other states and, and meet their pastors. And they would find out, you know, I'm, I'm on a sabbatical and I'm traveling around. And, and uh, the pastors always want to know. You know, they always want to question you about well, who, who's, who's running the church while you're gone. Who's taking care? You're not there. What's happening back there? Are you concerned about it? And there's this very common perception that a local church is totally dependent on a pastor to function. And in many, if not most cases, and especially I think in a lot of these churches where I got asked that question, I'm thinking that must have been the truth. And we might call those churches personality-driven. It's all about the guy who's up on Sunday speaking God's word and, and, and that he's what makes it go and he's what makes it happen. But in Exit Church, we've chosen men, we chose many years ago to be different from that. We, first of all, we're led by a team of pastors. There are five of us right now. And so if one of us is off for a while, um, Bernie's taken off the summer for a while, taking some time away from his pastoral duties. Uh, uh, if one of us is off for a while, uh, we can cover the bases, the rest of us, as our four pastors did while I was gone. You see, churches that are personality-driven can't survive if that person is absent. Have you ever seen that happen with churches that maybe the pastor resigns or retires or dies or whatever? You know the old saying, when the cat's away... The mice will play, and, and a lot of churches go downhill when things like that happen. But instead, we've worked really hard here at Nagshead Church to be driven by God's purposes for our church. What are those purposes? You know them, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, mission, and worship. We've worked really hard to say those things that we find in Scripture are what our church is to be about and so the only one, the only person that we need to be stuck to and that we cannot get along without is the one who owns us and is our Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. If he's absent, we're in trouble. If he's not here for one moment, something's wrong. 
Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the body, which is the church. Everything comes from him. We need to keep that in mind. I think we understand that. So this time away, this 90 days, really in a, in a large uh, away was a, a great test for our church because the test question was this, Nag said, church, are we really who we say we are? Do we practice what we preach? Do we walk the walk, not just talk the talk? And from everything that I can gather, from the growth that we've seen, from the way everything was taken care of and handled, how everything just continued to work and flow, uh, seems to me that Nag said church passed the test. In fact, you've been doing so great that I've been considering taking another 90 days. And uh, (laughs) why did I even come back? A fourth thing that I learned was this. God was right when he said to get some rest. God was right when he said, get some rest. Now, let me stop and say, first of all, God is right whatever God says, okay? I mean, that wasn't, well, he was right there and he could be wrong somewhere else. Whatever God says, God is right. But when he said, get some rest, I learned he was absolutely right. Like some of you, uh, some of you are like, uh, like me in this regard. You know, I tend to be a workaholic um, in pastoring, and, and some of you have done this perhaps uh, in your lifetime. In pastoring, there is always something else or someone else who needs my attention, always. Uh, it's, it's not a 40-hour week. To me, it's typically a, a, a six-day and a lot of times a seven-day work week. And if you're a type A personality like me, you're driven. You live for your work. But God made it during this time as he taught me how to rest. He taught me to forget what's happening in Nags Head. Well, not forget, but put it on the back burner. It's all, it's, don't, don't worry about things, Rick. Just relax. He taught me, made it very plain uh, to me that you can't live that way. You have to realize that God wants you to rest. And God made it very plain by demonstrating to us that while work is good, and I believe in work, and I believe in a good work ethic and hard work, work is good. We also need to rest. He set the example for us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day, which was called the Sabbath day, the day of rest, and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. Now, think about it for a second, okay? God wasn't tired. God wasn't saying, after six days, I am slammed, worn out. Making the universe and the world and the animals and the plants and the sun and the stars, that's hard work. I need to take a break. God wasn't tired. He took a rest, which means on the seventh day, God sat back in heaven and just enjoyed it all. And didn't do anything as far as creation was concerned. But he was setting, I think, more importantly, I think God, why he did that, because he didn't have to rest. God neither, the Psalms say, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He didn't take a nap. But what was he doing? He was setting a precedent for us to follow. So one of the things, you know, God was teaching me was be sure you take some time off from work. 
And, and you know, frankly, and maybe you're, you're a business owner or maybe a manage, in management position of some kind where you work, when you've invested so much into something, you naturally want to see it thrive and do well. And having been a pastor here for more than, think this is a scary thought, I've been pastor here in this church for more than a third of my life. And I know some of the kids are saying, man, that's got to be about 40 years. You know, for more than a third of my life. <laughs> um, I care very deeply about this church family. So it's been the greatest blessing uh, to me to be able to trust our, our staff and our pastors and our ministry team leaders and all of you who volunteer in ministry that you, while I was gone, you kept the bar high and you carried on the mission. And it's because of your level of commitment that I was able to truly rest and live free of stress. I, I cannot tell you, again, how many people have run into me in the last few weeks since I've been home and say, said, Rick, you really look rested. I do. I, I feel that way. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that during these 90 days I wasn't doing some work. I was doing some work on this, uh, on, on this sabbatical. Some of you know I've been working on a couple of writing projects. Um, I've been on call since I've been home with the fire department as their chaplain. Uh, in the last seven weeks, as I said, I've been working on about five years of non-work around our house. But that kind of work, is, frankly, is stress-free. I can say, I think I might do this today. Oh, I may not. Uh, that's kind of fun, you know. It's been reaffirmed to me, um, by the way, and this, one of the things I've learned from this is it's been reaffirmed to me that I need to be more strategic in making sure that I'm not personally ignoring the rest that God meant for me to have. That's part of being a good steward of what God's given me. So, you know, I ask this question, who needs stress? And the answer is no one. But who needs rest? And the answer is everyone. Last lesson I learned uh, that I want to share with you today is this. Dorothy was right. God was right. We need rest. But so was Dorothy. There's no place like home. As much as we enjoyed our 44 days on the road, seeing the sights and visiting friends, we knew that we would be glad to get home. As many great churches as we were able to visit, I know that, and let me just share this with you. When we saw some great churches, the church that Mark and Sue Burns are in in Florida is amazing. I couldn't be happier for them. As many great churches as we saw in our trip, we didn't find one as good as this one. We were so excited to get back here. Uh, in fact, we've sneaked in here the past few Sundays. Some of you have seen us. We typically have been showing up around 11 uh, because, there's, frankly, there's no other place we'd rather be on the Lord's Day. We love our church home. We love it. When we were in California, we got to California, we drove up the coast of California. You know, and that's as far west as you can go in an automobile. Uh, can't go any farther west than, well, we were on the inside lane. You can go a little bit farther west and get on the outside lane of that highway. After that's the Pacific. Uh, we, we went as far west. As soon, honest to goodness, as soon as we got to this town, we started, we went to visit friends in Redding, which is in the center part of the state, 
As soon as we turned our car east, Gail started itching to get home. And it took us like five weeks to get out there and do all that. As soon as she said, let's go home. Let's just get there as quickly as we could. Um, she began be getting antsy about coming home. You know, she's, I think she was having grandkids withdrawal, you know, and she just could not wait to get back home. But that's a good thing. Home ought to be a place of security and a place of familiarity and a place of love and a place of support. Home should be the place where you can relax and you can just kind of let your hair down and be yourself. And home is also a place where you can be alone if you want to be, or you can be surrounded with family and friends if you want to be. Well, we love, Gail and I love our family's home here in Kitty Hawk. Love our church home, we love our family's home, but we have another home that we're headed toward. We love our eternal home. I have three homes. You do too if you know Christ. If you're a Christian, you probably realize that we're not home yet. Peter described us as being pilgrims and sojourners. Jesus called our home, our, called heaven our everlasting home. Peter wrote that you have that eternal home if you have Jesus as your Savior. Look what he said in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also suffered when he died for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died, why? For sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 says, For this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our city in heaven, which is yet to come. Would you pray with me? You know, Jesus Christ, that means there's been a time in your life when you put your faith in him alone as your Savior. And if you know him and you can point back to that time in your life and that's when you were born again, that's when your sins were forgiven. What, one of the things that happened at that point in time in your life is that God pointed you toward home. And even if you don't know that heaven is your eternal home. And some of you may be here today and you say, I don't know that for sure, Rick. Then the good news this morning is you can know. Before you leave this place, you can have your life turned that direction. And we'd love to show you how you can get there. Um, after our last song this morning, I'm going to be standing down here at the front. I'd love to talk with you about it. Or you can take out one of those communication cards and check on the back about it, how to be a Christian, and we'll make an appointment to talk with you later. Father, thank you that you created this earth and all that it is for us to enjoy. You told Adam that we as humanity are to have dominion over this planet. It doesn't mean we can abuse it and do whatever we want. It means it's your gift to us to enjoy and appreciate, to take care of. It's it's our home right now. Thank you, Father, for the family of God that's all over this world and, and that, that, that people that we've made contact with in all these years that we were able to 
to reconnect with and reunite with some we haven't seen in, in decades and to see the love for you in their hearts and lives and, and Lord, to, to just share with them and, and enjoy the time with them and realize that we, we'll have all eternity together with those same folks. That's amazing. Thank you, Father, that you gave us rest and told us to be rested. Thank you, Lord, that we have this home that we look forward to. Thank you, God, for teaching us. Thank you, God, for this church. And thank you that Jesus is the Lord of this body of believers. And thank you, Father, for the committed men and women in this church who have taken very seriously not only their faith in you, but their part in the family and their ministry and their love and and have given themselves to do whatever needs to be done, Father, to show this Outer Banks community who you are. I praise you for that. Thank you that I'm part of this, this kind of family here at Nags Head. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you and says, I want to know that heaven is my home, I pray that before they leave here, they'll get that settled. And they'll realize that you gave your son Jesus to die for our sin, for our lives, for our eternity, because he wants to bring us to an eternal home with you in heaven forever. We thank you for that, for your grace, for your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.